Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Houston Astros 9, the Cleveland Guardians 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And we got another rookie debut. We, we teed it up on yesterday's episode, the debut of Hunter Gaddis. Uh, this guy has made an incredible climb. He uh, started the season in Double A, made two starts, two starts in Triple A, and he's already making his major league debut. Now it did not exactly go the way you dream up your major league debut to go, but it was still exciting to see him out there. It was interesting to see what he's got. He's a big guy. He throws hard. And unfortunately, you know, whether it's the jitters of making your major league debut or facing the Houston Astros or playing in a major league ballpark for the first time, he was up in the zone and he paid for it, especially, especially against Trey Mancini. So let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines of this game. And obviously, uh, Gaddis is our top storyline. So the rookie last three and a third innings pitched, gives up seven hits, gives up eight earned runs. He has two walks, two strikeouts on the day, gives up two home runs on 79 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Uh, yeah, the strikeouts were interesting. Uh, we were expecting a few more strikeouts, right? That's something he's known for in the minors. He was a double-digit you know, strikeout per nine kind of guy. And to only see two strikeouts was a little bit surprising. Now, could be that if you look at some of these moments, if you especially Trey Mancini, he was missing his targets, right? He wasn't even close to where Maley was calling for the ball. Uh, he was up in the zone pretty much all day. If we go over to the illustrator here, the fastball was up all day. What Baseball Savant is calling the cutter was up all day. Now, we had heard you know, in the scouting report that he threw fastball change and then occasionally mixed in a slider and a curve. Uh, Savant had it as a cutter. So, you know, sometimes the speed, I mean, the speed ranged all over the place from 83 up to like 87. So... Was this pitch a slider or a cutter? I, I don't know. I Maybe something in the spin of the ball or something like that. Baseball Savant thought it was a cutter. So I'm just going to go with what we've got for now here. Uh, you know, All I can do is go with the data we got. But yeah, everything is up above the belt. Most of the fastballs, I'd say 80% of the fastballs were up above the belt. At the belt or higher. Same thing with those cutters. Even the curveballs were up. Uh, he only got one curveball down at the knees. Everything else was up above the belt. The changeup did play down in the zone for him. He was able to get the changeup down. Gets a big strikeout in the first inning via the changeup. Uh, so, yeah, I, when you're stuck up in the zone like that, and it's no surprise that most of the hits he gives up, especially the big hits, the two home runs to Trey Mancini were both pitches that were up. The double to Altuve was a fastball that was up. <laughs> you know, it's funny because when I watched that replay, now, baseball savant just gives you a generic strike zone, right, for the whole game. 
but obviously when each batter comes up, the strike zone is a little different based on their height. So it's showing me right here that the pitch to Altuve, we don't talk about this often, but the pitch to Altuve was like right at the belly, right at the belly, between the letters and the belt. However, if you go back and watch that replay, it's up at the top of the strike zone for Altuve. So uh, sometimes that's something I've never really noticed before, paid attention to until we get a guy as short as Altuve. And then, yeah, not all strike zones are created equal. So even though this looks like a four-seam fastball, uh, kind of middle in for Altuve, it was up and in, and he drives it out into the uh, you know into the left field, left center field gap. So missing up a couple of singles up. There were two singles down from the bottom of the zone. Altuve singled from bottom middle, and uh, Martin Maldonado went out of the strike zone uh, to take a change up for a single. But then everything else was up. Uh, his uh, his strikeout. All right, before we get into Mancini's home run, let's at least give Hunter Geddes some credit for a strikeout here. The second batter of the game, he gets Yuri, Yuri Gurriel. Uh, let's go back and see the whole pitch sequence. Starts him off with a fastball at the top of the zone that he misses, comes back and hits the outside corner down and away for called strike, evens it up at one and one. He threw a lot of fastballs to start. I was actually surprised how many fastballs he threw on the day. Uh, these fastballs are coming in that first inning right around 94 miles per hour. Throws him another fastball up and away. Uh, pretty pretty hittable pitch, and he fouls it off. So he gets ahead in the count. Throws him a cutter, maybe a slider, maybe a cutter. Came in at 87 miles per hour. Uh, down in a way that he lays off, and then drops a nasty changeup at 75.7 miles per hour, down and away on the outside corner, and he swings through it for his first major league strikeout. And yeah, it was the first time he unleashed the changeup in the game. He had shown Altuve all fastballs, and so hard stuff, hard stuff, hard stuff, and then finally drops the changeup for the strikeout. It's a nice pitch. I mean, uh, Hamilton was going on about it. The the change in speed, going from a 94-mile-per-hour fastball down to a 75.7-mile-per-hour changeup. It's a nasty pitch. Uh, so that's how he gets his first strikeout. Now, now in the second inning, he's facing Trey Mancini, and he's up the whole time, uh, up above the belt, pretty much the entire ab bat, and throws him one of those, cut, maybe a cutter, maybe a slider, uh, on the outside half of the plate. Now, this was the pitch that was called for, right? Um, but it was supposed to be down in a way. Mainly was set up in the bottom corner of the zone. He was ahead in the count, uh, one and two. So he he had an opportunity here to, uh, to get Mancini to chase something down. Instead, he leaves it hanging up, and Mancini hammers it out to center field. For a home run, 101.4 mile per hour exit velocity, 407 feet. So absolutely missing his target here. The target was set up down and away at the knees. He throws it up at the letters. That's When you do that against major league hitters, especially someone like Mancini, you're going to pay. Like It's just a terrible recipe. Uh, and then in the, in the next inning, man, again, his next, his grand slam, this time with the bases loaded, I threw him a ton of fastballs, and they were all up. I mean, the first two were up at his head, at his shoulders. He lays off for two balls. Then he tries that cutter away, misses with that, so he's down in the count 3-0. 
Uh, he throws him a fastball, another one up and in uh, that he fouls off. He's swinging 3-0, and then the fifth pitch is in the exact same spot. Comes back up and in again, and I will tell you that Maley was set up down and in. He was set up at the knees again. So it's not, it's not a you know a bad call from uh, what the pitch was. It was just missing location. It was just missing location for Gaddis. He was just stuck up at the top of the zone so much on the day, and he really pays for it against Mancini. And God, doesn't it uh, doesn't it hurt a little bit that like Mancini would have been the perfect trade candidate for the Guardians to go get and play first base for like the last two years. And then Houston's able to get him. They're able to get this guy who's a hero in Baltimore. And they didn't give up that much. They didn't give up an unreasonable package of players to get Trey Mancini. And he's already delivering. Already delivering huge at-bats for the Houston Astros. Like their offense needed any more fuel. Uh, So yeah. So that's what was going on with Gaddis. Uh, it was nice to see him get his first major league strikeout. It just it wasn't the strikeout game we were expecting. Uh, one of the other things I looked at was the count breakdown, and he was behind a lot in this game. He faces, I believe, he faces seventeen batters on the day, and he only starts out four batters ahead in the count. He throws strike one to four batters. And falls behind the rest. That's not good. We need a few more first pitch strikes uh, from Hunter Gaddis. He's got to work ahead a little bit more than that as a starter. That's just a recipe for failure when it's, let's see, uh, 13 guys he's starting out uh, behind in the count. You know, 1-0. That's just, it's going to be a disaster for you. So Hunter Gaddis definitely got some lessons learned in this start. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he sticks around and gets another start or if somebody else gets the opportunity. It sounds like Savali's going to need one more uh, rehab assignment, and the plan is definitely to bring Savali back. So, uh, you know, was this just a spot start, a one-time opportunity for Hunter Gaddis? I know there's some more doubleheaders coming up in the schedule, so obviously we're going to need starters for those. So I feel like Gaddis is going to get more opportunities here in Cleveland. Now that he's on the 40-man roster, he's definitely going to get some more opportunities. And uh, yeah, we have another doubleheader coming up against Detroit at home on the 15th. So we'll see if Gaddis gets another start before Savali's back, if he gets another start because of a doubleheader. I don't think this is the last you've heard of Hunter Gaddis. I think the organization is very high on him, and I think we're going to be seeing him we're going to be seeing him back on the mound. And hopefully, hopefully he can hit a few more first pitch strikes. Hopefully he can get those, those fastballs and cutters down at the knees where Maley's calling for him. And uh, he'll have a little more success, I feel like. All right. The other thing going on in this game, the other storylines in this game. Uh, actually, I'm going to stick with pitching because Framber Valdez, my God, he just does what he does. He gets ground balls. We hard hit him a ton. We hard hit him 11 times in six and a third innings pitched. He gives up seven hits, three earned runs, three walks, only three strikeouts. He does give up a solo home run on 91 pitches, uh, but it's all ground balls. It's insanity how many ground balls this guy gets. Uh, going over to the box score, 
he he's credited with 12 ground ball outs and zero flyouts. Zero flyouts given up, but 12 ground ball outs. It's insanity how much ground balls this guy gets. And he was doing it to us all day. He does it's exactly as advertised. It's a quality start. I think he kept a streak going for quality starts. It was 52 sinkers on the day, 57% sinkers. Uh, we put we only whiffed three times. We only whiffed four times on the entire day against Valdez. It's 11% whiff rate. We put 16 of those sinkers in play. The average exit velocity was 91.2. You'd think that would be good. No, not when they're all ground balls. So, yeah, 16 put in play. I was shocked. Three foul balls on that sinker, 16 put in play. We just couldn't do anything with it. Now, the one, there were two moments of offense in this game for the Guardians where you thought maybe this thing was going to go the Guardians' way. And it starts with Ahmed Rosario. So, in that first inning, Ahmed Rosario, second batter of the game. A second pitch of his at-back gets a curveball down and in, and he gets under it and lifts it for a home run. Uh, It's not the huge 450-foot shot we saw, but 106.1 mile-per-hour exit velocity, 410 over the wall in left field. Uh, Almost hits a guy coming out of the tunnel with his food and drink in his hands, uh, which they were joking about on the broadcast that uh, I think that guy got the ball, though, in the end. So it's a victory for him. Uh, so, yeah, it's a really nice home run. And looking at Ahmed Rosario's zones, especially off of left-handed pitching, that's actually a spot where he hits pretty well off of left-handed pitching. Down and in, he's hitting 333 off of left-handed pitching. Down, uh, down and in off the plate, he's hitting 538. Uh, he is slugging down there, too. He's slugging 667 down and in. Versus left-handed pitching. He's slugging 769 down and in off the plate against left-handed pitching. So it's actually a zone where he can do some damage. He That was his first home run. His other three home runs off of lefties have all been middle-middle. But he does have a bunch of doubles and singles from down there. Uh, he's got three doubles from that down and in quadrant. So now he got a home. Now he has a home run to add to that, to that spot, to that spot in the strike zone. Uh, so yeah, left-handed pitchers coming down and in on Ahmed Rosario, might want to think twice about it. Uh, That's not really the spot, and he proved it right here in the first inning by launching this home run. So you actually felt good about this one. You felt like he had some good vibes. Like, you know, maybe the Guardians, uh, you know, had a shot in this one. And then, uh, you know, obviously Valdez settles in, Gets gets two ground outs to end the inning. Three ground outs total in that first inning. Not a surprise. Jose Ramirez, like I said, you you can hit him hard, but if it's on the ground, it's not going to matter. Ramirez hit one at 109.3 miles per hour, but it's a ground out. Oscar Gonzalez hit one at 105.3 miles per hour, but it's a ground out. So, yeah, so... The Guardians offense did a lot of grounding out. In the seventh inning, they they put together a nice rally against him. After a ground out from Josh Naylor to start things off, Owen Miller would draw a walk. Tyler Freeman would then single. Uh, It would set up Luke Maley. Maley would single, drive in Owen Miller from second. Uh, And then Miles Straw would rope a double over the right fielder's head. It would bring in Freeman to score. Suddenly, it's an 8-3 game. 
Will Benson, who had gone in for uh, Stephen Kwan, who had fouled one off his foot. Kwan says he's fine. It's just you know a bruised foot. He's gonna be fine. Nothing's broken in him. Uh, unfortunately, what is broken is his hit streak because he had to leave the game early. Uh, but Benson draws a walk to load the bases. So we just rallied for two runs. It's an eight to three game. And uh, suddenly we have a chance to make a really huge comeback here. Unfortunately, Ahmed Rosario would pop out. And then Nolan Jones, they uh, see, this is the thing. Francona had already given up on this game. He got in Jose, he took Jose Ramirez out of the game. And for some reason, gave up the DH spot, put Owen Miller in at third base. And now Nolan Jones pinch hits here in the Jose Ramirez spot. And God, it was one of the worst strikeouts uh, I have ever seen. Man, with the bases loaded, just and the pitcher missed his location too. They were calling for a fastball middle away, off the plate. They wanted Nolan Jones to chase, and instead he throws him a fastball in right at the hands, and uh, he gets the call, locks him up inside, and gets the called strike three. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I, God, that he locked him up like this. Um, yeah, he was struggling so much. Uh, Valdez was struggling really in this seventh inning. They really got to him. They bring in Seth Martinez out of the bullpen, and he gets these last two outs. Uh, looking at the pitch sequencing here, starts him off with a slider in the dirt, throws him a fastball in that he swings through for a strike, throws him a fastball away that he swings through, for a strike two, uh, throws him a fastball up and away that he lays off for a ball, set up to go fastball away again, and then, man, these pitches are all at the right at the belly. I mean, Nolan Jones has got to get one of these with the bases loaded. Come on, a chance to have a huge, huge comeback rally, and he just is frozen by a 92.8-mile-per-hour fastball right there. It's right there for Nolan Jones to hit. So that sucked. That really, I mean, there was the first time there was ever really some momentum in the ballpark for the Guardians in that seventh inning. And, and it ends like that. To be frozen with the bases loaded, that's really, really got to suck. So that's the last chance for the Guardians offense. And yeah, and that's, that's pretty much the ball game there. They come back, they score again in the eighth. They rally off De Los Santos. Um... Uh, the other thing I noticed, Sam Henches goes two and two-thirds innings through, on 26 pitches. Really efficient two and two-thirds innings. So he finishes Hunter Gaddis's fourth inning and then gives him two more innings after that. That's actually huge out of the bullpen from Sam Henches. To be able to go that long, he has not been, he's not been stretched out really. So to go that long in the game and save the bullpen for the rest of the series is pretty big from Sam Henches. Uh, and it was interesting because... When he was pitching, uh, they had uh, Miller. Andrew Miller was in the TV booth, joining the guys in the TV booth, talking, you know, some uh, 20 teens, guard, you know, Indians memories. And uh, to watch, to have him in the booth when Sam Henches is pitching, I compare him all the time. They got to get Andrew Miller, like, out of spring training next year to work with Sam Henches, right? They just showed clips of... Uh, at the Cleveland Browns training camp of Joe Thomas working with the tackles, with the offensive tackles. 
And you're like, yes, that makes so much sense in the world. When you have someone in the organization that's a legend like that at what they do, you got get them in, get them out there to talk to the young players is so huge. And I feel like Andrew Miller could be that guy for some of the lefties, especially Henches, who did the same thing he did, move from a starter into a bullpen role, finding success in a bullpen role, maybe finding out that being in the bullpen isn't the worst thing in the world. And uh, yeah, I think Andrew Miller could help him so much if they get those two together on the practice field out in spring training. I think that could be a really good combination. So yeah, so Henches does a pretty good job. In fact, uh, you know what? Uh, no, you know what? I'm not giving it to him. MVP on the day. I'm actually going to give it to Luke Maley. Uh, he had two hits. He had a big RBI hit in that eighth inning. He's the one that really, uh, you know, got that rally going and, uh, you know, gave us a chance, uh, to get things going in that seventh inning. He had two hits on the game. He's the only one with a multi-hit game. Plus he's trying to help out a rookie pitcher making their major league debut. So I know we've rallied against the catchers a lot on the show, but I'm giving MVP on the day to Luke Maley. Look, I would love to I would love to belabor this game more and get into more detail, but frankly, we got our butts kicked against Houston again, and it's a rough team to make your major league debut against. In Major League Baseball, they are fifth in OPS, the Houston Astros. They are third in home runs in all of Major League Baseball. And, you know, that's probably before they added Mancini. Uh, so, yeah, this is a very, very good offense. And it's a really tough team to make your Major League debut against. Uh, so, yeah, we're actually, we have a better batting average than them, surprisingly. Uh, the Guardians have the eighth best batting average still in baseball. Uh, Houston actually comes in at 15th, but they slug so much. That's why their OPS is so high. Um, yeah, it's a tough team, and especially Houston has really had our number lately. Uh, there's a website called mcubed.net, which does a really good job of showing, uh, summarizing you know, the teams versus each other records. And since 2018, Houston has really had our number. Since they swept us in the playoffs in 2018, they really, really had our number. In 2018, they went 7-3 against us, including those three playoff games. Uh, in 2019, it was a little more even. They, the Houston beat us 4-3 overall on the season series. In 2021, they were 6-1 against us in the season series. And now they are, let's see, they're two and one, they were 2-1 against us in their home series this year. Now they've won the first two. I guess this guy doesn't update the website too often. They're now four and one against us on the 2022 season. So yeah, Houston has really, really had our number uh, so far this decade. Uh, in the last four seasons, obviously we didn't play them in 2020 because of the weird COVID season. Um, no, no playoff matchups since that 2018 season. Um, Obviously, that 2018 season is known for some things, some things that were maybe done illegally by the Houston Astros. So maybe those numbers are a little skewed. But yeah, the last two seasons, they have really, really had our number. So uh, let's see what we can do. Maybe we can even this thing out a little bit here. There's still two games left in this series. Uh, so there's a chance here 
for the Guardians to get back in this thing, defend their honor, defend their home field a little bit. We got a 6-10 start. We got to face another tough starter here, Lurie Garcia. We got Cal Quantrill on the mound. And then uh, on Sunday, it's Javier matching up against McKenzie. So two righties starting against us the next two games. I expect to see Benson and Jones in there a lot over the next two games. It's just, God, it sucked against the lefty that you have Benson, Jones, Andres Jimenez all sitting on the bench. Like, I get you're rotating Tyler Freeman through. But, uh, man, that sucks to have those three bats sitting on the bench. I want to see those three bats in the lineup, not on the bench. So, yeah, against the righty starters the next two days, we will probably see those guys back in there. All right, let's go. Let's go win one of these games against Houston. Let's, like I said, defend the honor of progressive field a little bit against these Houston Astros. Um, Let's see if we can get another win against them. That's all my thoughts on this one. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It's the Astros 9, the Guardians 3. Let's at least make it a close game. I've really been able to watch, like really watch the last two games, and they've been terrible games. Uh, So if I actually have the time to sit down and watch the game, and I'm not just watching it on my phone while I'm doing other things, at least give me some good baseball, Cleveland Guardians. Come on now. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Ferris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your thoughts on Hunter Gaddis making his Major League debut. Or just give me your hate for the Houston Astros. They are one of the most hated teams in baseball over the last few years. So if you just need to vent about the Houston Astros, hit me up at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.